Good morning. It is my pleasure this morning to introduce our speaker, Dr. Bob Moeller. And it's really an honor for me because we've been good friends for years, and it's great for me to have this opportunity to introduce him here. Uh, Bob ha is currently the senior pastor at Winneka Bible Church in Winneka, Illinois. And in case you don't know, that's a suburb of Chicago. And for those of you that don't know where Winneka is, if you've ever watched the movie Home Alone, that's where it was filmed. In fact, it was filmed just within two blocks of Bob's church. Uh, to share some th other things with you about uh, Dr. Moeller, uh, he has pastored in churches in Arizona, uh, Minnesota, as well as the Chicago area. He also has worked for the Billy Graham organization. I had the opportunity to work with him at another Christian college when he was the director of public relations for Trinity College and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Bob has also uh, authored several books, and several of his books are on marriage. He also has done several, he does marriage retreats. And uh, another thing about Bob is in, if you ever listen to Moody Radio, he's frequently a guest speaker on Moody Radio. But to tell you a little more about Bob, I'd like to also mention that uh, his wife Cheryl graduated here at IW. She graduated from our institution, and uh, they also have six children. And to say just maybe one other thing I'd like to leave with you about Bob. Bob is really uh, a man of God, and I've really enjoyed over the years hearing him talk about prayer. In fact, I think that will be his heavy emphasis in his talk with us today. So let's give Bob a great welcome. There you go. Thank you, John and Linda, very much. John Grady and Linda have been friends of ours for years. Uh, your oldest son, Jonathan, goes here. And he was born on the same day, the same year as our oldest, Rob. And uh, when John and I discovered, oh, we had a lot in common when we met at Trinity years ago. Thanks as well to uh, the dean of the chapel for inviting me and to Terry Monday and the others here. You really have a wonderful school. We were here just a few weeks ago. My daughter is looking at your university as possible place for her to come in college. And this is not the school in its appearance that my wife remembers. I mean, I think she found one building that's still here from when she was here in the uh, mid-70s. But what a wonderful thing God has done on your campus and is doing today and how present he is. As I was thinking about what I might say to you this morning, I guess God impressed on me a simple thought. Share with the students what you wish someone would have shared with you when you were in college 25 years ago. Tell them what you wish somebody had told you sitting where you're sitting today when, when I once was. I went to Bethel College in St. Paul. I was raised Methodist. Then I went to a Baptist college, Bethel. Then I went to Asbury Seminary, Methodist school. Then I joined the Evangelical Free Church. And I'm, I'm hoping I won't miss heaven on a technicality. I mean, I'm, somewhere along the line, I hope I've been associated with the right group. Actually, in the whole um, journey that we've had, and it's been a wonderful journey, I met Cheryl at Asbury Seminary when she came from here. She actually did her student teaching over at Center Elementary. And I think she probably attended college church while she was here. I met her my second year of seminary, and she came to get a degree in religious education. And the first day I saw her, I knew I was in love. Um, I knew that this was the woman that I was going to marry. 
when I saw her through the bookstore window. Now, don't make those same kinds of decisions today. I mean, if you walk out and see somebody, don't assume that this is it. Uh, God works in unique ways, but it turned out that impression was right. And we've been married for um, 22 years now, and we've served churches primarily in urban and inner city settings. I was raised in an urban interracial church in Minneapolis, Park Avenue United Methodist, and it was there I received Christ, and that's where I felt my call to the ministry when I was 12, and uh, went to school in the Twin City area, and then later to Asbury. And then um, Cheryl and I served churches in Akron, Ohio, in Minneapolis, in Tucson, Arizona, and finally in the Chicago area, working both at Trinity and serving churches in the Chicago area. And I guess if there was one thing that I wish I had known when I was sitting where you are sitting today, it would be this, that the presence of God in our lives is the most important thing in all the world. The presence of God is the most satisfying and the most fulfilling thing that there is in all of life. There is nothing that can substitute. You could go from here and make your aim to get a number of degrees and, and bless the Lord for fine education. You could go from here with your ambition, I want to get married and I want to have a family. And thank the Lord, it's a wonderful experience for God to give you a husband or a wife and for you to raise children. You can go from here and say, the point of my life is I want to be successful in my career. And when I left seminary, I really wanted to be successful in what I was doing. I wanted to successfully pastor churches. And I wanted them to grow. And I wanted them to prosper. And I wanted them, you know, all those things. I thought that is what is really important. And so I would go to seminars as a young pastor on how to grow your church, how to use this model and how to use that model. And if you're seeker friendly, this may happen. And if you're sensitive to your market and know their needs, that may happen. And if you emphasize evangelism in this way or that way, that will make your church grow. Or if you learn to preach expositionally and open the text. And so I'd sit and I'd watch and I'd listen to the great preachers. And you know what? Nothing worked. Not really. Nothing really satisfied what I was searching for, and I didn't know what it was because I was trying so hard. For a text this morning, I want to read from James chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, that I believe is one of the most important and life-changing truths that you can hear while you're in college that can redirect the rest of your life. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That word humble or humility 
From the Latin word humus, which means soil, which means the earth. And so to humble ourselves means that we get down near the earth. We get down near the ground. Which is just another way of saying that we realize that God is everything. God is our all in all. And we ourselves, we have to get low. We have to go down and bow before him. That the point of life is to make a name for God, not for ourselves. The point is to make a name for God and not for ourselves. The Bible has many things to say about the nearness of God. That God will come near to you. That his presence can be a reality. That you can know him day after day after day in your life in a very practical, real way. And you know what? When the nearness of God begins to fill your life, you may be in love with another boy or another girl, and you may think that this is the greatest experience, but there's something even better. The nearness of God is going to fill your life in such a way that even the love of another person is not nearly as satisfying or as wonderful. I hope you're studying. I hope you're making every effort you can to squeeze every ounce of learning and education you can out of this wonderful university. Because God has put you here for such a time as this. But you know what? Even more than being an honors student, even more than going to graduate or postgraduate school, to know the presence of God is still more fulfilling. I do live in a suburb now, Winnetka, home alone, uh, with six children. We've sometimes made the same mistake. We, we haven't gone to France and left our kids at home alone. But we have gone in at night and left one kid in the van and realized they were asleep. Um, we were tucking all the children into bed one night when we counted one less than was supposed to be there. And uh, went out and they had fallen asleep behind one of the big captain's chairs and, you know... Don't tell the Department of Child and Family Services, but it, those kinds of things happen when you have a big family. Another night, we got everybody inside the house, and again, we were checking children and discovered that one was, oh, this is terrible, one was still in this car seat outside the back door. We had all filed in the back door, you know, you're just you're all coming home, it's dark, you can't see everybody, and it was our daughter that realized that our little Megan was missing, so we brought her in too, and all was safe and sound. Well, Winnetka, Winnetka, yeah, it's where Home Alone uh, was filmed. In fact, my sister was an extra in the movie. She lives there, and uh, if you've seen the movie, you know, there's a scene in the ice skating rink where they're chasing uh, McCulky Culkin, or whatever his name is. Uh, you're chasing him across the the ice and, and the policeman chase him. She was in that scene. And the drugstore is now a, a, a bagel shop. But other than that, it's still the same place. You know, there is a lot of wealth and a lot of affluence in that area. And there is so much despair. There is so much emptiness. And there is so much loneliness. And so many marriages break up. And unfortunately, there are so many attempted suicides in the area high schools. And yet, I've never been any place where everybody has everything several times over. You know, I've, been, I've served in the inner city. 
Our first church together in Minneapolis was the second highest crime precinct in the entire city. They used to call it a silk stocking neighborhood, only they wore it over their faces as they'd hold up the local drugstore. It was that kind of neighborhood. It was tough. And you know what? I saw drugs and despair there. I saw, interestingly enough, where I am now. Virtually the same type of despair. What's the deal? What's the deal? Isn't driving a BMW, isn't having an enormous stock portfolio, isn't vacationing in hard-to-pronounce places in Mexico, isn't that what life is all about? You can pursue that if you want to, and at the end of it, you're going to find that isn't what God has for you. That isn't what the point of it all is all about. What people are really hungering for is the presence of God. And the Bible says that if we are willing to come near to God, He will come near to us. If we'll draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In Philippians, it says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Psalm 65, verse 4 said, Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Bible says in Psalm 145, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. In fact, the Bible says this, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. In fact, the Bible says the Word of God is near. You see, what the Lord wants to do in your life is bring you near. And he wants you to live your life with the nearness of God, your daily reality. But how does that happen? How do we begin to draw near to God? My own experience was that for years as a pastor, I think almost 17, I tried to lead churches through clever programs, through working at preaching, through politics, through all these different things, getting the boards set up the right way, and none of it worked. Why? Because it was a man-centered effort which produces man-centered results which only last for a man-centered period of time. And God, I discovered, isn't really at all interested in what I will do for Him. The only thing God is interested in is what He can do through me. You see, we are here to make a name for God, not for ourselves. When we leave worship, when we leave a place like this, we ought to be saying, isn't God wonderful? Isn't Jesus wonderful? Because He and He alone is what makes life worthwhile. Well, let me tell you the journey God had to take me on. I was asked when I was living in Chicago by my denomination if I would take a church in the city that had recently fallen on difficult times. It had grown between 800, 1,200 people on Easter, about eight to 1,200 people, mainly singles. The average parishioner was 20-something, living in the city, a professional working somewhere. 
and two-thirds were single. I had never been to a congregation where the majority of people were single. It was a wonderful experience. It was brand new. And the guy who was there before me, they loved him. And in fact, from the colleges all around the area, they used to come on Sunday to listen to him, and there'd be a line for 40 minutes afterwards to shake his hand. Everybody wanted to talk to him. And so this church, which had been 125 people for 50 years, was now 800 people and bursting at the seams. And there was energy and there was all sorts of life. And then the pastor admitted he had a girlfriend. And it wasn't his wife. And in a gut-wrenching sort of way, he had to resign from that church and leave. And you had 800 people that were just stunned. Just absolutely in shock. One night I was out with some other pastors and a denominational superintendent associate. And we were working with a church on the south side of Chicago who was ha- that were having some problems. And he turned around to me and he said, I know where God is going to send you next. <laughs> I laughed and said, oh, Really? He said, yeah, there's a church in the city. You need to go there. And I said, well, God hasn't told me that. And why don't we just go get pizza instead? And so we went out and ate. And somehow this gnawing feeling that he was right, that I needed to go there, started to begin to work on me. I took my wife and my kids and we looked down and we drove past it and they all voted no. They said, no, Dad, we're not going to go here. And yet, the more we prayed, we could not get away from the fact we were supposed to be there. And so we went. Well, we were in the city, and I started to speak in the summertime. And by October, our attendance had fallen from about 800 to about 600. And it was sinking. I was bringing out my best sermons. I was trying to find funny things, clever things. I was trying to be like the person beforehand who I hadn't even met, but I thought they liked him. And so what what do you do? And then one night, a young single man, graduate of Wheaton College, took me out to dinner. And he said, Bob, I prayed about whether to tell you this or not. Now listen, guys, when anyone tells you they've been praying about whether to talk to you, put on your full body armor. Because usually what they're going to share is difficult. And what he said was, I'm not getting a thing from your sermons. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, I stared at my cold french fries and my... Hamburger, and I looked up and said, there was nothing I've ever said that was of help? He goes, well, several months ago, there was one sentence I found interesting, but I don't remember what it was. But yeah, there was something you said, but overall, no. Well, I said, thank you for sharing with me. Well, you know, I didn't really mean that. Um, I wanted to pour that bottle of ketchup in his lap at the, at the moment. But I knew secretly that he was onto something, that I wasn't connecting with this group and that it was sinking and that it was falling apart. It was only a matter of a few weeks later where one of my children came home from this elementary school and they were going to a very fine school in a nice area that I I wasn't prepared for this. He said, Dad, the school nurse says I have lice. He said, you have lice? I, you know, lice? How did you get lice? I didn't even know quite what they were. Well, I guess they get spread very easily from student to student. I don't know how he got it, apparently from somebody else. Within two days, my other two children got lice. 
So now we're all putting on this cream that was, that was scalding. I don't know what you put. It's meant to, I guess, burn your, your scalp and hair follicles. And, and I'm not sure how far into your brain it actually goes, but it kills the lice. And so we were, you know, doing this shampoo thing with the kids. And we had to take every single sheet and pillow and piece of clothing and sock to the laundromat. We went in on a Sunday afternoon with 47 bags of laundry. I counted them. They were all in leaf bags. We took over every washing machine, every dryer. The proprietor came over and said, did you get a little behind on your washing or what? You know, I mean, I did not want to tell him we were there for lice. I didn't think he'd appreciate us washing all our clothes. Well, anyway, we, we loaded up, carried out. I think the bill came to something like $74, $75 in change for all the laundromat, drying it and everything. Well, then about three weeks later, our van, our transmission broke. And that was $2,000, and we had no van. The church had to loan us one over Christmas. Now, I'm beginning to see a pattern here. You know, my church is falling apart. My kids get lice. Our car is falling apart. What's the deal? And I begin to ask God, what am I doing wrong? Can you tell me what's, what's happening? And I remember Christmas time of that year, I was bitter. I was bitter at God. I had taken this church he had wanted me to take. I had tried as hard as I could. I had preached my heart out. People were leaving in droves. They almost had to charter buses to take the former people you know, away. It was, it was going down. My kids were infested with a plague, like from the Ten Commandments. I, I could not figure out what was wrong. My wife gave me a book. I didn't even, I opened it. It was Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. I said, I'm not interested in reading this. I, I was just too, too sorry for myself. But three days later, I began to read this book, and it was a story about a church in Brooklyn, New York. Some of you, I guess, have been to New York lately to serve there. And Brooklyn, in the heart of this area in the mid-70s, this church, the Brooklyn Tabernacle, had about 24 people. And the first Sunday Pastor Cimbala preached, the pew broke on the front row, the end fell off, and people slid down like canned vegetables off a shelf. They just went all down onto the floor, and they had to put the pew back together and get people seated. And things seemed to go from bad to worse there, until God spoke to Pastor Cimbala and said, when he was on a, a trip to Florida and, and wondering what he could do for his church, God spoke to him and said, Jim, if you lead my people to pray and to worship me, you will never have enough seats for the people I'm going to send you. And if you've read that book, God, Jim Cimbala went back and began to lead in prayer his people, and God began to work in that congregation. Well, as a staff, we decided to go out, drive out to Brooklyn and see for ourselves what does a church that's driven by prayer look like? We drove 17 hours, part of it through a snowstorm in February. And we, when we got there and we were welcomed. And on Tuesday night, can you imagine an auditorium like this? Filled with people to capacity for a prayer meeting. They're there just to pray. They come two hours early. Men line up at the front of the auditorium. About a hundred of them, maybe more. And for two hours, they're just calling on God before the meeting even starts. That night, when they, we came to this prayer meeting, 
in the middle of it, Pastor Symbola says, God is impressing on my heart that this church from Chicago, and we had met him earlier in the day, we need to pray for them. He said, I want them to come forward. And so we came forward to this church. And the people and the pastors gathered around us and they prayed for us. And they prayed for our church that was in such trouble. Well, I sat down again as the prayer meeting went on and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Bob, the real sin in your life is a lack of faith. That lack of faith? I'm a pastor. I mean, I lack of faith. I believe the Bible. I believe in inerrance. I believe all these things. Where's my lack of faith? And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. He said, your lack of faith is that you don't pray and you don't lead your people to pray because you don't believe I would answer if you did pray. And I began to think about it. No, I didn't ask God to do the impossible. I didn't ask God to be the center of my church. I didn't ask God to change people's lives as much as I just asked God to bless what I was doing. And I want to challenge you students this morning that what God wants from you this morning is for you to draw near to Him and to call unto Him. And the Bible says that He will answer. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you. Friends, can I ask you a question? And I mean this reverently. Is God a liar? Does God say things that he does not mean to fulfill? Is our God deliberately this morning deceiving you about your life? Or is it true that if you call unto God, he will answer you? And what does the Bible say? And I will tell you, I will teach you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I was broken that night sitting out in the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. God brought me near the earth. He humbled me. He said, Bob, I'm going to give you another chance to be a pastor. But this time, this time, I will do the ministry. And you're invited to come along. You know something? For the first time in like 18 years, I wanted to be a pastor again. I was so tired of trying. Are any of you tired of trying? Any of you tired of trying at the Christian life? Trying to do things for God? Trying to get it right? trying to be who you should be and you're always falling short and it's frustrating and you listen to people talk about how wonderful God is and you're thinking, but I'm not experiencing that. And you almost feel like you're living a double life because you're talking about God but the experience of God is not real to you or it's long forgotten. That evening in Brooklyn, God showed me that he wants to have a God-centered church which will produce God-centered results which will last for a God-centered period of time. As a staff, we began to realize as God worked in our lives that you know what? Preaching isn't going to work. Singing isn't going to work. Sharing your faith isn't going to work unless God is in it. Unless he provides the power. Unless God is the one that infuses it all. 
He's the only one that can bring people from darkness to light. He's the only one that can bring a marriage back together. He's the only one that can forgive your sins. None of us can do that. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. And you know what? That power comes when we call on his name. And we believe he will answer. Are you calling on his name for your dormitory? Are you calling on his name for your campus? Are you calling on his name for your family back home? Are you calling on his name for your relationship that you might be in here? Are you calling on his name for your studies? Are you calling on his name that he might use you on this campus and that he might direct your life? God wants you to do that. You know, the disciples were with Jesus three years. They watched him do everything. And after watching him do everything, it's, the Bible says, and they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to... Did they ask him, teach us to preach? Teach us to memorize scripture? Teach us to evangelize? Those are all wonderful things. You know what they asked him? Teach us to pray. And then he taught them the Lord's Prayer. The thing that they watched his life and figured out the way this guy heals people, the way this guy teaches, <coughs> the way this guy raises the dead... I wonder if it has anything to do <coughs> with the fact that he gets up before dawn or that he goes to a mountain sometimes and prays all night and the disciples begin to connect it and they said, teach us to pray. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of music. It shall be called a house of Christian education. It shall be called a house of youth ministry. It shall be called, no, he didn't say that. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He went and he upturned the tables and he drove people out. And he said, there's only one reason for this house to exist. That people might call on the name of the Lord. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Quoting Isaiah. When we got back to Chicago that next Sunday... I preached on Jeremiah 33, 3. I stepped out in front of the pulpit and said, I need to confess before you my sin. As a pastor, I have failed you because I did not believe God answered prayer. And I've tried every trick and every other idea to grow this church except to come in humility before God to confess my sin and to call on Him to answer. And you know that morning, people, we, don't, we didn't have an altar, but they began to come forward. Students began to kneel at the front of the auditorium. They began to slump themselves over. In some cases, they were doubled over. They, we, we turned the place into an altar. And the next service, that happened again. And you know, in the weeks that happened, the presence of God was so strong in that church that one morning in the middle of the service when I was in the back of the narthex an usher said come look at this Bob and I looked through the back window we were taking the offering and people had come forward for prayer the offering when's the last time you were convicted by plates being passed by you hadn't happened to me that morning the Holy Spirit was so strong that we were taking the offering people were kneeling to pray and seek God God had come near and I just close by saying God wants to come near to you this morning. And he wants to stay near. And he wants to remain near.
today, tomorrow, this week, for the rest of this semester, for the rest of your life. And if I had one thing that I wish I would have known in college, is that if I come near to God, God will come near to me. And that I can live in His presence. And that I can see His power at work. I believe God wants to work on this campus. I believe He wants to work through Indiana Wesleyan University. I believe He wants to pour out His Holy Spirit. But that's going to happen when we seek His face. When we humble ourselves. When we get near the earth. When we come near to God. Charles Finney, in 1830, came to Rochester, New York. God worked through his life. Revival broke out. The place, according to historians, was shaken to its foundation. Of the 40 converts in that city, 40 entered the ministry. I should say 40 converts did. 1,500 revivals broke out in other towns as a result. 1,500. You know what? I think the Lord wants to work in this campus. I think Indiana Wesleyan, in God's heart, wants to be a place that's known as the campus that calls on his name. And as we pray now, I'm, I'm going to close. I would just invite all of you, students, faculty, administrators, whoever, this morning we're going to finish in prayer and I would just invite you, if you wish to call on his name, if you wish for God to come near this morning, I, I would, for you to come near to him, I would just invite you to stand as we pray. If that's what you want is God's presence to work in your life, I just invite you to stand as we, we close in prayer. Lord, I pray for this campus. I pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit in a powerful and marvelous way. I pray that this campus would be ablaze with prayer. I pray that students would call on you in the dormitories and in their classrooms and in the cafeteria, in the library. I pray that in small groups and in large groups they would seek your face. And Lord Jesus, that the most wonderful thing in the world might occur, that the presence of God would absolutely burst forth on this campus so that people setting foot on its property would know that God is here. Lord Jesus, this morning, may students surrender to you and give to you all of the things that are standing in the way. May they confess and renounce and find mercy in your sight. And Lord, may they in faith come before you and may they ask. May they ask for their roommates, for their families back home, for themselves. May they ask for this campus what only you can do. Lord, let this be a place where you do the ministry. And you invite us all to be your instruments. Dismiss us now, Lord with the reality and the presence of God before us.
let it linger this day and this night, this week. May we go from this place having found the life that we're looking for, the purpose that we're seeking. Lord, let this campus be an instrument that changes this nation. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Dismissed.